Amen. If you would, open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. As we come to uh, the end of uh, this letter that we have been looking at since August. Um, it seems like we have been in it uh, quite a while, and certainly it has been a good book, but it's also been a difficult book. Um, difficult for lots of different reasons. Difficult because there are some things that are hard to understand. Uh, we've looked at head coverings, we've looked at uh, speaking in tongues, we've looked at why uh, Paul, or, yeah, Paul talks about... Uh, those that are baptized on behalf of the dead. There's just a lot of odd things in Corinthians that we don't understand because we are not part of the Corinthian church in the first century. However, it's also a difficult book just because it's, it, we are so much like the church in the first century Corinth that we too struggle with pride that we too struggle with desiring our own way of doing things, that we too allow that pride and that desire at times to get in way of relationships inside of the church, that we allow those things, that pride to get in the way of relationships outside of the church and to impact our ministry and the community. And we need at times to, to read a difficult word from the Lord that calls us out and says, hey, this is not the way that a child of God acts and that you need, we need to be different, that we need to come to repentance. As we come to chapter 16 then, Paul is concluding this difficult letter and he ends by looking at several different issues. Uh, as Melissa and I talked about this chapter this week, you know, the, the main part of the letter is pretty organized and he's writing to them about things that they had asked about or things that he had heard about. And now 16 acts as kind of the postscript, the PS to the letter. And it becomes not just a postscript, but it becomes a post-postscript and a post-post-post-postscript in certain ways. And so he kind of jumps around a little bit in 16. But what we see as the common theme is to take care, to be careful with certain things and as they continue on after they have read this letter. And so we're going to look at all of those together with an understanding of that common theme as we, as we approach chapter 16. So if you would, stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Uh, it's quite a bit shorter than uh, what we've had the last two weeks, which I know many of you will be thankful for, but... Uh, Incredible, incredible ending to this letter. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits." But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers." Now concerning our, Apollo, our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit 
you with the other brothers, but it is not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first, con- were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you as always for your word. We thank you that you desire to have a relationship with us and that you choose to communicate to us through your word, through your spirit, through the others that are around us that have the spirit in them as well. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that we have a faith that is real, a faith that is genuine, a faith that is not a lone Christian type of faith, but rather that it exists best when we are surrounded by others that you have made sons and daughters as well. We pray this morning as we look at all of these different issues, as Paul kind of jumps around here, that you would help us to identify what you are trying to say to us this morning as individuals and that we would turn around and that we would be diligent about putting that into practice, that we would not allow it to go in one ear and just out the other. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, As I said, Paul comes to this final chapter and he is kind of just tying up loose ends and there are some things that he wants to talk to them about that he hasn't previously because he's been mentioning and and talking about and and spending a great deal of time on those and on, on things that they wanted to look at and on things that they wanted to talk about. And so he takes 16 to just talk to them about things that are on his heart. And so we kind of think of these as his final words to them in this letter. Certainly we know that 2 Corinthians comes along and he's going to have other words for them. But these are his final words with this letter. And again, as I said before, the common theme that kind of runs through these is just an, uh, an urging to think carefully and care for the things that he's going to talk about, that it, they might live the life of a believer and live it well. And so I'm going to run through, we're just going to kind of set the the tone here real quick. I'm going to run through what the six things are that he says to take care with, and then we're going to go back and talk about each one of those. So first, he starts about taking care with giving, and we can see that in verses 1 through 4. Uh, that he is talking there about a collection that's taking place. Second, he talks about taking care with ministers um, and with the ministry. And so we see that in verses 5 all the way through verse 12. 
And then we get a little bit of an interruption in this closing and two verses that are kind of odd in verses 13 and 14. Not odd in their words, but just odd in their placement. Then we have, fourthly, we have the be careful with service and do service well. You see that in verses 15 through verses 18. And then we have taking care with each other, verses 19 through 20. And then lastly, we have take care with the message in verse 21 through 24. So that's kind of where we're headed. As you can see, there are a lot of different topics there. You have all the way from giving to the gospel, to service, to caring for one another, to caring for ministers. There's a lot of things that are going on. And in a sermon, especially like this, it would be easy for us to, to listen to one part of it and be thinking that, well, that's not really for me, or that, that's a good reminder, but it's not speaking to me this morning, and it would be easy for us to check out. And so I would encourage you this morning, the Lord may not be speaking to you through all six, though all six are wonderful reminders to us, but don't check out, because my guess is, is that there is one of these that the Lord has for you this morning specifically that he wants to hear, to, to deal with, and to, to touch your heart with this morning specifically. And so I would encourage you just to, to be diligent in your listening as we go through chapter 16 this morning. As we begin, first, Paul addresses the issue of giving. He says, take care with giving. Specifically, take care with this uh, collection that I have talked to you about beforehand. In verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1, he says this. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And so Paul here says, you're going to take a collection, but really we could put take the, the things that are said here and put them on a broader scale about how we as believers are to give. And so one of the things that he talks about is he gives direct instructions, very direct instructions on how to do this. And three things specifically. First, we see that he says to collect on the first day of the week. This is one of the only places we see in all of the New Testament where we get the idea that early Christians met on Sunday. That Paul had taught them to do that and that he had an expectation that we, they would be gathering together on Sunday. Now, of course, we understand that in from this point of view, we understand that they are doing that in recognition of the, the day of the week that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so they celebrate on that day and worship on that day. And so he gives them instructions. When you gather, you're to do this on the, the first day of the week. When you gather, come and bring your sacrifices, bring your gifts on that day. The second thing that he talks about there is that they would give regularly. So they give every week. Now, for us, we may not give every week, but I think there is an important note to make there about giving on a regular basis. For one, when we don't give on a regular basis to the work of the Lord, we tend to forget. That's just human nature. That as we go through life, that if we're not giving on a regular basis, if we're haphazard about it, that we tend to not make it of great importance and we tend to let it slide by the wayside. On the other hand, or, or in second, as we think about giving on a regular basis, part of the importance is that it is a reminder of where all that we have comes from. 
When we give on a regular basis, whether for you that's once a week or whether for you that's every other week as you get paid or whether that's once a month, when we give on a regular basis, we are reminded that he has given it all to us first. And now we simply return to him uh, what he has given us that, and given us stewardship over that we may be involved in the, in the kingdom and in the gospel work. And so we give regularly. Third, there under the idea of get direct instructions is he talks about that you are to give as each prospers there in verse two he says store it up as he may prosper or as you have this is an important note for each one of us God has called us all to be giving people to be generous people but he has not called us all to be generous in the same way He has not called us all to give the same amounts, but rather he has called us to be generous with what we have been given and what we have been entrusted with. You have heard me say probably since we've started uh, talking about building that it's going to take all of us to build a building. It takes all of us to to do the church budget and to meet ministry needs in in our church and in the community around us. But we don't all contribute the same amount. We contribute as we given. It's equal uh, it's equal sacrifice not an equal sacrifice he has called us all to to give of what we have but he has not called us all to give the same thing and so you might be in the shoes of the widow who gives a mite but that is all that she has or you might be in the shoes of others who God has blessed greatly and you can give greatly because of that and so he gives direct instructions here for how we give we give regularly we give as we are able he also talks about in that first section that we are to be careful with accountability as we give you look there in verse 3 he says when i arrive i will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to jerusalem if it seems advisable that i should go they will accompany me Again, Paul is just being very careful when he deals with the issue of money. If you go back in 1 Corinthians, there had been accusations against Paul that he was just another one of the great orators of the Greek world who just was concerned about money. And yet, and so Paul said, and Paul argues there, I wanted nothing from you. I came asking for nothing of you. Instead, I, I came to deliver to you of first importance the gospel. And so here he just he reminds them, I, I, look, I don't want to handle this money on my own. I, I want to be accountable. It's a good word to, to really to all pastors but, and, and all of us that we would be very careful in how we handle things. And so he tells them, you're going to pick guys that are going to represent you to Jerusalem. They're the ones that are going to be taking the money. And I will either write them a letter of accountability or I will go with them and, and verbally give a, a word of accountability and a word of um, recommendation depending on how you would like me to do that the thing that I, I kind of want to spend a little bit more time as we've kind of ran through these first two points though is that Paul here is looking at a bigger picture Paul's looking at a bigger picture when he talks about giving and when he talks about supporting this collection that is being taken up among really all of the Greek churches. He says Galatia in other parts of the New Testament. You're going to see that he, he references those churches that are in Turkey or Asia. And they're all collecting funds that they may support the church in Jerusalem. Paul has a bigger purpose here and a bigger purpose picture when he thinks about why they are doing this and why he calls them to do this. 
In part, it's so that the church of Corinth would stop looking in. They have become incredibly inward focused as they have fractured apart as the unity of the church has been fractured by their own pride. And so he calls them to focus on an outward purpose that they may be unified in the work uh, of the Lord. He also, though, is making a point here, I believe. If you think about the church in Corinth, that church would have largely been made up of Greek Gentiles or Roman Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And yet, the church that they are taking the collection for is the church of Jerusalem, a very Jewish church. And there would have been probably no greater racial or cultural divide in that part of the known world at that time than between the Gentiles and the Jews. They did not mix, they did not uh, have relationships with one another. They viewed each other very strangely, very awkwardly, and even very hostile at times. And yet, here is a Gentile church taking a collection that they may support a Jewish church. The point being that the gospel overcomes all of that. That the gospel rises above any cultural difference, any racial difference, any hostility that the world would say that we should have against one another. That the gospel raises above that. And that when we care for one another as churches, when we have diversity in the churches, that it screams the message of the gospel. That the Lord has been went to the cross and was raised for each one of us regardless of of our backgrounds, regardless of our culture, regardless of our skin color, that all of us have been called to salvation through Him. And when we don't do that, when we act more like the church in Corinth act, and we act like we are divided, and we put up walls around ourselves, and we try to insulate ourselves from the world, what happens is we we pour water on the gospel. We, we tone it down. We dilute it. And it, it looks less powerful to the world than what it is. Paul desires for them to, to get the bigger picture. And in the same way, we should do the same. How do, you, how do you look at other churches or other believers? Do you spend a great deal of time or any time at all for that matter trying to learn more about churches that are in other parts of the world or, or hearing about what they're going through or praying for them, our brothers and sisters who are all over this globe? Do we, do we give time and consideration to that? They are family. Just as much as the person sitting in the pew behind you or in front of you is family. So, so are they. It's just more extended Do you give thought and prayer to that? Or do we just concern ourselves with our own worries and concerns? Or how do we look at other churches even in our our community? Do you stop and do you think about churches like Second Missionary or Spencer Creek or Curryville or Farber or Southside or Elm Grove or Adiel? And do you pray for them? Or churches like First Christian, do you pray for them? Do we see them as a competing team or do we see them as the same family? Do we rejoice when they are blessed and when their ministries are doing well and we see people coming to know 
Jesus Christ through their work? Do we rejoice in that? Or is there part of us inside that's like, why is that not happening here? Do we get jealous and envious of that? Brothers and sisters, we are on the same team. We are the same family. And we pray, and, I, and we, we should pray for them and for their ministries and that, the God, that God would use them in our community just as we pray that God would use us and as we would hope that they are praying for us and as we would hope that they would rejoice with us. We do it together. The second point is that he says that we should take care of ministers. You look there in verses 5 through verse uh, 12, and he talks about three ministers in particular. He talks about himself, Paul. He talks about Timothy. And then he talks about Apollos. And he gives an interesting, he, he, he does some interesting things there. First, he begins to talk about the heart of a pastor. He begins to talk about the heart of a missionary and the one that has been called to the work of the gospel. He says there that he has a desire to visit, and really that all of them have a desire to visit. And for Paul, it's not just a desire to visit just in passing, but it's a desire to go and to spend time with them. He says, I really hope that I can spend all winter with you, that I can spend a whole season with you, so I can see you and talk to you in person, that we just don't have to do this letter thing. Um, I, I often think when we, uh, this, the invention of the telephone, and especially now that we have texting and all of the social media, all of those things are, are wonderful things that allow us to keep touch with other people um, and, and to know what's going on in their lives and to communicate quickly with them. At the same time, it, it comes up short in our lives. Uh, I just I had an opportunity this week to have a back and forth conversation with a friend of ours that's a missionary in Africa. And it was great to hear from them and great to, to know them, but my heart longed to be with them, to see them face to face and to to see what was really going on and, and not just a, to be behind a, a social inter, or a social interaction on on the Internet but to really be able to sit down and have, in his case, coffee and, and a scone and, and really to enjoy that. I know, a scone sounds weird. It was a French country, people. Like, you do what you got to do. All right? The donuts were out of the question. And so we, uh, we desire that, and Paul desires that. But think about that for a minute. Has the church in Corinth been really good to Paul? Like, does he have, you know, great things to say about them? No, this has been a very difficult church. This is a hard place. Like, going back there is scary. And I love what one commentator says, maybe unadvisable at this point. And yet, Paul's desire is for the church. His desire is for the people of God. That should be our heart as well. Certainly, it should be the heart of a pastor and a missionary, but it should be our heart as well that we have a desire for the people of God, even when the people of God are acting dumb. And that happens. It happens. We all do it. But we should have that heart just as Paul did. The second part of the heart of, of a, a minister we see in his work is a desire for the work. Look there at the end of, or in the middle of that passage that we were talking about in verse 8. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? For a wide door of effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. 
he goes on to talk in a little bit about Timothy. He says, look, Timothy is a, is a worker of the gospel. Like, yeah, he's doing work by the Lord. About Apollos, he says that it's not in his will to come now, but he'll come later. There's something else that God would have him to do in this moment. As much as they desire and they love the church, as much as they desire and love the people of God, there is a greater calling, and it's a calling to the gospel. Paul says, look, right now there is awesome things happening in Ephesus. The gospel is, is rocking and rolling, and there are those that would like to see it stop, and so I need to be here. And if you go back and read Acts, uh, the, the idea is that really all of Ephesus was hearing the gospel. Like that whole area was going, getting the opportunity to hear the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I can't leave that just yet. As much as I love you and as much as I want to be with you, I can't leave you just yet. Um, or I can't be with you just yet. You know, I, I, I think about that even with some of our friends. I told you I was talking with a missionary friend and um, he made the comment that those guys always make when we have those discussions. And it was, when are you coming back? And like some of you right now are like, really? But my mom, I told my mom that this week and I thought she was going to check the phone at me. But, but when are you coming back? And I said, you know, we love you guys. We miss you guys. But we're here doing this work and we're excited about what's going on here. And we're, we want to stay here and we want to invest here because this is where the Lord has called us. Even though we miss you, even though we, we know that there's great work going on there as well. Paul says, I, I need to be where the Lord would have me to be. Brothers and sisters, do we have the same desire for the gospel? Do we have the same desire that the, to, and the knowledge that the Lord has planted us here and now for a purpose and that there's great work to be done? Paul also makes a comment in this uh, passage about ministers that, that we should care for those that are in ministry of the gospel. That ministers should be cared for by the church. Look there what he says about himself. He says that he desires to come and to spend winter with them. And he says in verse 7, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But then he also says there in verse 6, he says, And perhaps I will stay for you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. He says, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of, of what God's doing in Ephesus and Galatia and other places uh, or maybe a, a future missionary journey to Spain. I want you to be a part of that and, and you as a church should be supporting that. He says the same thing about Timothy. He says you need to take care of him. What do we know about Timothy? What we know about Timothy is that he was a young man. That he was, he was quite a bit younger than Paul and probably Apollos. In fact, Tim, or Timothy has, a, has his own couple of letters that Paul writes to him. And in one of those letters, Paul encourages Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Paul, Timothy, as we read that first letter especially, Timothy seems to have struggled with confidence. And he seems to have struggled with, with being young in the face of others that are older than him and maybe more experienced than him. And Paul says, look, you're okay. But on the flip side of that coin, he tells the church, hey, you watch out for him. He's a young guy. He's new to the ministry. He's new to all this. And don't, don't intimidate him. Don't give him any reason to fear. But rather, take great care with him. Love on him. And when it's time for him to go, to send him on his way in peace. We as a church are called to care for those 
that are ministers and those that have been called into the ministry of the gospel, whatever that may look like. I'm thankful you all are wonderful caretakers of me and my family. And we have said that multiple times, and we're thankful to be here and thankful for the ways that you encourage us and uh, love on us, all, all three of us. Uh, we couldn't be more thankful. And we're thankful, I know, that Greg McGee would want me to pass on about how you have cared and uh, loved on him and how we continue to do that as they plant a church in St. Louis. And I really could probably go on and on uh, uh, with guys and, and missionaries who you have cared on well. And we would just encourage you to continue that, to continue to see the importance in that. Paul goes on here as, as we continue to kind of bounce around a little bit, and he interjects something that's a little bit different. Verses 13 and 14 there uh, seem to be somewhat out of place. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. It, this, these 13 and 14 kind of interrupt some personal remarks. They would have made maybe more sense at the very beginning of the past chapter or maybe at the very end of the chapter. And so why does he interrupt to say this here? Well, we're not quite sure, but I think part of it is the fact that he knew and expected some disappointment because of the words that he had just said. He, he says, I can't come to you right now. He says, Apollos, it's not his will to come to you right now. But I'm going to send Timothy. And it's like the church in Corinth, him knowing them, knowing their pride, it's like, great, so we get second strength. Fantastic. Like, we're not good enough for Paul. We're not good enough for Apollos. We get the kid. Great, thank you. Appreciate that. And so there's some, he anticipates some disappointment. He anticipates some angst. He maybe anticipates even some hostility. And he says, hey, we're not coming right now. But while we are away from you, while I'm away from you, while Apollos is away from you, be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong. These are all terms for a soldier. He is calling them and reminding them that they are still in a spiritual battle. And yet he says at the end there, let all that you, be do all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. First, he tells them to be watchful as we look at this, these two verses carefully. He says, to be watchful, stand firm. That term watchfulness, that, that, that vocabulary that's used there in verse 13 is often the vocabulary that's used in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's looking ahead to the return of the Lord and the, the kingdom, the coming of His kingdom. Paul is saying, hey, be prepared. But being watchful in that sense doesn't mean to do nothing. It's not to stand around and to wait, but rather it is an active watchfulness. It is an active thing that is accomplished where we continue to do that which we have been called to do. It is like the parable that Jesus tells where there's a man that gives his servants different things, uh, different talents, and they are they can one of them buries it one of them just says i'm not going to do anything with it and when the master returns he digs it up and he hands it back to him he said what are you doing he goes hey I, I knew that you would come back someday and i knew you'd want it back and so here it is and the master looks at him and goes why weren't you like the others who used it that they were active they knew i was coming back as well but they did something while i was gone instead of you being lazy and just burying it in the ground 
And so he says, in this, when Paul talks about this watchfulness that we are to have, it is not a laziness just ho-humming around until Jesus returns, but rather it is a call to be active in our faith. Which we see there when it says in the, in the very next thing, stand firm, act like men, be strong. All of these things are calls to de- defend our faith, to be active in our faith in how we speak, and how we act in, in the things that we do, we should be on guard against those that would preach a false gospel, that we would be on guard against a world that would look at our faith and mock it. And so we stand and we defend it, and we're on guard against subtle ways that there may be attacks. But we do so in love. We do so in love. At this time in our, our culture, especially in, especially in the last year, we have, seen, we have seen more divisions than maybe ever. Divisions over politics, and, and in the, even inside that realm, we could go farther and farther. Divisions over morals and ethics. Divisions over just lifestyle. And we don't give each other, as I've said before, the benefit of the doubt. And we begin to get very... Uh, hostile even in the discussions that we have and surely Paul tells us here to defend the faith Paul tells us to stand firm on our convictions and to be ready to give an answer but he reminds us that we do so in love we do so out of concern for the other person when you have a discussion with someone that disagrees with you is that what's on your mind that concern for their well-being? Or is it just to prove that you're right? Just to prove that you know better than them? Or do you really want them to know the truth? Not, not to prove your worthiness or to prove your rightness, but that they may know, that they may know Jesus Christ, that they may see Him in you, When we come to these things, it's easy to want to win. When we come to these kinds of discussions, it's easy to want to gain the upper hand. It's easy to want to see our way. And certainly the church in Corinth understood that, right? The church in Corinth was like, they were constantly about getting our way and proving that we we were more right. Paul says, we shouldn't be about that. We should be about loving one another, which carries well into the next point, which is to take care with service. When we think about loving one another and not just being out for our own interest, there can be no higher thing than to serve one another. He calls to them and he gives them some great examples of this. He talks about Stephanus, who was the first convert in, the, in Achaia. Achaia was just simply the kind of the Greek state, if you want to think about it that way, that Corinth was in. And he holds up Stephanus and he says, this is someone that has given his life and his family has given their life to serve the church, to serve others before themselves. And he gives some other examples there. He talks about uh, Fortunus and Achaeus. By the way, we probably think that, uh, or we think that they were probably uh, former slaves, um, freed slaves, or, or maybe even were still slaves. Um, that had somehow gotten on this trip. Their names, Fortunus just means lucky, and Achaius is just the man from Achaia. 
Um, so they don't have like real great names. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we, we have that view of them. But he, he holds them up and he says, these are the guys that have served well. Why? Because they've been a blessing to others. We go on and we're going to slip into 19 just a little bit. And we see Aquila and Priscilla. By the way, that is the same as Priscilla. Um, why he uses two names there, um, I don't know. Nor In the rest of, the, of his letters, he says Priscilla. Here he uses the shortened version of her name, but she's still connected to her husband, Aquila. And so he talks about them, that, that they are uh, giving of their home to the church and, and lifts them up as an example. And so he says, these are ones that we should model ourselves after. In fact, he says that these are ones that we should be subject to. That we ourselves should look at people of, of service to look at those that serve one another and we should desire to serve them. This is the way that a family works. Not that just one person does all the service or a group of people do all the service, but rather we all serve one another so that all the needs are met. All of our needs are met. All of their needs are met. And so he says there that we have a good example. Second, he says that we should praise and thank them. We should praise and thank those among us who give and serve. I said earlier, you guys are, are incredible about uh, making us feel um, so, so loved and, and the encouragement that Melissa and I get on, on almost a daily basis. But we should be doing the same for those that are, are working in children's Sunday school, for those that work in the, in the back and they don't ever get to be up here and people don't get to see them. But when's the last time we thank them for what they have done and praise them for what they have done and just understood that the Lord has given us each different gifts and talents and, and to see that happen. We should make, help people to, to know that they're appreciated and loved inside of our, our community. And then lastly, we should desire to serve one another. We desire to serve one another. As I said earlier, we have these great examples and Paul calls us to be subject to them. And, that, and in doing so, we begin to serve them. As I was reading uh, one of the commentaries about this passage, the, one of the illustrators gave a, a, good, a good side point that I thought was, was worthy of sharing. He says in there that, that many of us, we value our time more than we value our, our money. And he says it's easy to read the beginning of chapter 16 and say, oh yeah, we can, we can give, we can sacrifice, we can make that happen, and, and that's no big deal. But it's quite another thing when we read these verses of 16 and realize that God is calling us to do something. That He's calling us to give our time and of our effort and not just, uh, as we would say in Western culture, to throw money at the problem, but really to get our hands dirty and get invested in what is happening around us. That's a good challenge and a good word for us as a church. That we are to be generous, that we are to give. But if, that if you have the opportunity to, to give or you have the opportunity to serve, that I would encourage you to serve. Give your time. Be present. Use the gifts and the talents that God has given you in that. I, I'm probably going to embarrass one of our members, but uh, she can deal with me later. Um, we did the, the fall festival um, 
a couple of weeks weekends ago, and it was we had a great turnout, and it, it went really smoothly. And really, I could praise everyone that was there. We had an incredible crew that that helped serve, and I'm thankful for Stacy that was there to to organize it and put it together, and for those that were putting hot dogs and buns, even if the tray was turned upside down, and all of that. Um, but one of the things that, that brought me as a pastor great joy was um, those that were outside. And uh, you had Pam Pargin and others who were, who were outside. But one person in particular, Sarah Jensen was out there and she was greeting people as they came in. And it was awesome to see because like every kid that came through there knew her. And every family knew her. And they, they were excited to see her standing at the front door giving them a box. And it made them feel at home and it made them feel like they were cared about and that they were present in a group that wanted them there. Now Sarah just as easily could have brought candy and left it on a table. She could have spent some money and, and helped us to purchase hot dogs. And that, but instead she gave her time and it made a world of difference to the people that came through that line. And she doesn't, and who knows what seeds that planted. That someone else, when we invite, they're like, oh yeah, Sarah goes there. We need to be a part of that. Brothers and sisters, each one of you has been given a gift. Each one of you has been given relationships that God intends to leverage for the gospel and for the benefit of others. Serve one another. Paul goes on here. And next to last, he says that we are to take care with each other. Verse 19 through 20, he says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila, and I'm saying Priscilla because it's easier. Together with the church in their house, they send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Brothers and sisters, we are to know the church. We are to know the church. Do you know the brothers and sisters that you worship with? We started our year talking about hospitality and the importance of hospitality, and then that message got shot to kingdom come uh, with, uh, with COVID. But the point remains the same, that we should know one another, that we should invest in one another's lives, and when possible, we should spend time with one another in a way that allows us to, to grow deeper in our relationship with each other and ultimately with the Lord. Do you know your church. Second, we should greet the church. In probably the difficult, uh, difficult verse for the week, he says there that all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, that makes many of us incredibly uh, awkward right off the bat. Um, but this was the common greeting of the day, and it continues to be the common greeting in many parts of the world. Uh, in fact, if you go to many parts of Europe, that's going to be how people greet one another. I would encourage you that if you go to those countries, number one, make sure that it's a country that actually greets that way. Number two, there are some countries that go right first and then left, and other countries that go left first and then right. It's important to know which one it is. Because if you do the wrong way, it gets really awkward really quick. Not speaking out of anything that I've ever seen or done. Just saying. Know the greeting of your people and greet one another. For us, it may be, well, maybe not now, but it was a handshake or a hug or at least a smile. Your eyes do that even in a mask. They know, people know if you're excited to see them. Are you excited to see brothers and sisters in our community? 
Do, does your wife or your husband know that when you go into the grocery store, they might as well plan on an extra 15 minutes? Because if you see a brother or sister in Christ in there, you're going to talk. My wife just budgets more time when we go to the grocery store. She's like, yeah, this is going to take an extra. Because she knows if we see somebody, there's going to be excitement there. Or do you try to dip down the next aisle so that you somehow miss them? Paul says, desire and, and greet the church. Know them and love on them. And care for the church. Care for the church. Again, this idea of service. The Corinthians had lost that. In their pride and in their arrogance, they had desired their own way first. Paul says that's not the way it should be. We should love one another and care for one another in all that we do. Lastly, as we take a look at this passage, he says take care with the message. Take care with the message. He says that we should have a love for the Lord. Verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. That word love there, many of us, if you've been in church very long, have heard uh, some pastor somewhere talk about agape. And agape is that unconditional love uh, that, that loves no matter what. That is not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here in loving Christ. The love that he's talking about is philo, which is the brotherly love. It is the love that you have for a family member. It is that love that says, I don't really like you today, but you're one of us, so I'm going to love you and serve you. It is the basic love in many senses. Paul says that you should have at the very least, at the very minimum, at the bottom of the barrel, you should have a love for Christ as just part of the family. He says if you do not have that love, then you are accursed. How does that love display itself? Well, we get that in John, 1 John, in the letter of 1 John. He says that if you love God, that you obey Him. That it's a lifestyle. That's how we show love, our love of Jesus Christ and our love towards Him. is through a lifestyle of obedience to Him. And so we, we have to ask ourselves, look in the mirror and say, is that us? If we're going to call ourselves believers, if we're going to say that we're Christians, then do we have a love for Christ? And is that that portrayed in how we live our lives? Second, that we understand the grace of God. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. One of the incredible things about obedience to the Lord is that we always screw it up, and yet He always calls us to do it more. That, that God calls us to work in the kingdom and that He calls us to be a part of the things He's doing and He calls us to this incredible life and yet we're going to screw it up. We're not perfect. If you're here and you're not a believer, you know, we're, we're, we're saying that we obey Jesus Christ and you say, well, I look around me and I see a bunch of Christians that aren't and there's truth to that. And that's where we proclaim grace above all. That we have not earned our salvation. That we do not earn the love of Jesus Christ. That we're not going to get it all perfect in this life. And so we throw ourselves upon the grace of Jesus Christ. And we proclaim that message to you, a lost, to you one that doesn't know Christ, and to a lost world that there's hope. Lastly, a love again, a love, he concludes, by the message being a love for one another. Verse 24, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. The message is one of love for our Lord. The message is one of of obedience to our Lord. 
The message is a message of grace in our shortcomings. And our message is one of love for each other. Jesus Christ himself says, they will know you by, know you are mine by how you love one another. And so Paul ends this book. It's a difficult book. You think about the harsh tone that, that he has with them throughout the book, the, the frustration that Paul shows with them, that times even the anger that Paul has at them for the, the mistakes they're making and the different things that they're going through. And yet, when it all comes to an end, Paul says, I love you. I love you. Despite all of this, I care about you. Brothers and sisters, is that the message that we give when we come together as a church that the person across the room from you knows that you love them and that you desire to serve them? That the person that you meet at Shell Station knows that you care about them and that you desire what's best for them and that you do that because you have a Savior who first loved you in a way that didn't make sense. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response. We have covered a lot of ground, a lot of different ground. But at the end of the day, it boils down to that message, to the message that we first were loved by Him, that God cared enough about us that despite our mistakes, despite our sin, despite our rebellion, that he loved us enough to pay for our consequences if we would put our faith and trust in him. That he was willing to die on a cross when he didn't have to. That, he w- that God say, signed that and approved that sacrifice through the resurrection. That he loves you. Do we give the message though that there, and that there is grace in that? That we didn't earn that? That we didn't deserve it? And that we are to love one another. Is that what we communicate? Is that what we know? Let me pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. And you are, Lord, you are without description in many ways. And you are beyond our understanding in many ways. Larger than we could ever know. More holy than we could ever know. Your justice and your grace work together in a way that we have a difficulty understanding. And yet, Lord, you invite us into a relationship because of your love for us. You invite us into the greatest life that we could ever know because you have cared for us and you extend your grace towards us. And now you have called us that are believers. You have called us to extend that same love and that same grace to those that we worship with and those that we come into contact with. Father, I pray that this week, Lord, that we would take a close look at our lives and our actions, that we would take a close look at the words that we say, and Lord, that we would evaluate what message we are sending in the way that we post on Facebook and the way that we speak to the person across the counter and the way that we act to our brothers and sisters in Christ. What is the message, Lord, that we are doing? And Lord, that you would convict us of that, 
that you would give us the ability to, to deliver the right message, the one that was delivered to us. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.